Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm ProPublica's Dara Lind. Matt Iglesias is currently recording an audiobook of his forthcoming One Billion Americans, which you should pre-order not only so that Matt doesn't have to troll all of us relentlessly over buying his book, but also because apparently if you send Matt a screenshot of your pre-order, uh, you will be entered in a competition to get to select an upcoming Weeds white paper. Jane and I have taken advantage of the fact that Matt is not in this week to do two things. One, we are not having a white paper because we're girding our loins or whatever for the upcoming whatever you guys are going to impose on us. I'm emotionally prepared for an onslaught of Swedish administrative data. No, I mean, Swedish administrative data would be like comfortable for us. I feel like you want to True. get us really out of our comfort zones, right? All, but the other thing that we have done is taken advantage of this opportunity to have a conversation about economics in the economy that Matt might find horrendously basic, but because we are a couple of dum-dums, uh, seems to us to be pretty important. We have got gotten Vox's Emily Stewart to come join us. Uh, Emily is inter alia, an economics writer for Vox, and has been doing some of the clearest explanation of like the relationship between what kind of the investor class thinks is going on in the economy and what everybody else is seeing and the extent to which these are and aren't the same thing. Right. This has been this has been a question that Dara and I have been talking about a lot and a question I've been having is that at the moment the economy for normies is bad. But the economy for the stock market, as exhibited by anyone who has gotten into Robin Hood over the last couple of months, it's pretty awesome. And the stock market, it's interesting because it seems to me and to Dara and to perhaps you listening at home to be completely disconnected from what the economy is doing. And I don't understand it. So we thought we should talk to Emily, yes. who does understand it. Yes, Dara is furiously shaking her head because right. once again, very yes. visual medium. Um, um, so we wanted to start out, Emily, if you could kind of walk us through, this might seem like a little bit of a basic question, but why is the economy so bad and the stock market so good? I mean, honestly, like this is a thing that I think about all of the time. And I think even when you ask people who work in this, 
like part of them, they will just say, I honestly am not exactly sure. Like, this is wild. So today, before we started, I was talking to a couple of people. I was like, okay, like, what do you think is going on? There are a couple of things that have happened. So everybody remember, it's like back in March, stock market tanks a bunch. And it's really been rallying since. Nobody has one exact explanation ever for what's happening in the market because it's not a single person. It's not prescient. You don't know. Um, a couple of things have happened. One is the Federal Reserve has dumped a ton of liquidity into the market. So they're buying, they're saying that they're going to buy corporate debt and corporate bonds. So that really has put some confidence back in. You also have a lot of retail investors that Jane alluded to, basically people who are sitting at home super bored playing on the stock market. And then today I was talking to someone and looking up what's going on specifically with the S&P 500, which is that big benchmark index. And what you see is that it's really five tech stocks that are driving this. So Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google account for a huge amount of the S&P 500, and they are up a ton. If you take them out of the S&P, at least in late July, the rest of the stocks are on average down. So like there's this giant tech rally. So basically, that is sort of what's going on. I think right now, obviously, the issue is that the stock market is not really reflecting what's happening in the real economy today. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit more about why that is? Because like, you know, the understanding of the stock market that I have as someone who is, you know, who who is aware of it only vaguely at a distance is that most of the action is supposed to be happening on the part of professionals, like people who aren't just like Robin Hood investors, you know, fooling around at home because they're bored, but who like actually study economic trends for a living and are supposed to be able to reasonably well approximate what is actually happening in the economy and where it is best for them to invest their funds. Are they as clueless as everybody else is right now? Do they actually believe that things are going to get better imminently? Or are they kind of deliberately trying to pump up an economy that they're worried might be flagging? Well, I think that Retail investors aren't big enough to really move the market. This is bigger people. I think there are a couple of things. A, there's not really anywhere else to park your money right now that's super lucrative. Interest rates are super low. So the stock market is kind of where it is. And yes, these tech got, stocks may be overvalued, but we're not in a tech bubble. These are companies that have high valuations, but they have a lot of money. It's not a company that's going to go under tomorrow. You talk about like the price of stocks is supposed to be the expectations of future earnings. So this is the market basically saying they think that the economy will be fine. Now, some of that might be wishful thinking. It seems like the market is assuming that Congress is going to pass a stimulus bill. It seems like the market is kind of assuming there will be a vaccine, that everything will be fine. And when you talk to people who are experts in this, they'll tell you, like, listen, this might all be super duper wrong and we might all be screwed in six months and have no idea. There is no guarantee that this couldn't come crashing down, but at least right now it seems like the market is assuming things are going to be okay. So, wow, that sounds concerning. So Yeah, I have a lot of follow-up questions. (laughs) Yeah, I I have many follow-up questions, but um, I think just to back up a second, for folks who are perhaps like me and are coming at this from the angle of thinking about the real economy, and I'm I'm putting real economy in quotes here, what does that relationship look like on the ground and more directly? Because I think clearly 
we see over and over that politicians are thinking about the stock market as being in some way related to the economy, which is why there are a couple of people. There was a New Republic piece from a couple of months ago that essentially argued that if the stock market didn't crash, we would never get the coronavirus assistance that many Americans need because so many Republicans basically interpret the stock market as being a means by which the economy is clearly working. And that you know, now you're starting to see people who are essentially, and Donald Trump constantly uses the stock market as an indication of how well the economy is going. So how true is that relationship? How closely tied is this relationship? Are they parallel journeys? or they, what, What's happening there? Well, with the stock market, there is a thing called basically the wealth effect where people feel like, the economy is better if the stock market is better and might spend a little bit more, especially the more affluent people. Even if they don't have all of their money, they're not making money off of it. It kind of makes you feel better about the economy. So that is one thing. And then it also is supposedly supposed to be a leading indicator, right? So that means it starts to move before the economy starts to move. If you look at the Great Recession, the stock market started to recover a little bit before the economy did. So right now... The stock market seems to be saying things are going to be awesome at some time in the future, which, again, I don't know. And it's important to emphasize that the stock market can be wrong. But stock market doing well kind of does make people feel better. And I think also when it comes specifically to politicians and Republican politicians, we are stuck in a little bit of a conundrum here because the stock market is doing well. And so they will point to that and say, well, the stock market is fine. And it sort of serves an an excuse not to do more stimulus. So it's a little bit unhelpful, especially if you think that investors are assuming that there will be more stimulus and that's why the stock market's doing well. So this is something that I think has really come to a head as we've seen the stock market decouple from job numbers, certainly, and arguably to like the broader real economy as well. But it gets at something that like, I personally have been fascinated by at least since the inauguration of Donald Trump and possibly earlier than that, which is that for all of the rhetoric about how the private sector is necessarily more efficient, more flexible and more forward thinking than government is and is going to, you know, because they're incentivized to get things right, they're not going to screw up as often. It seems that people who invest money for a living don't necessarily understand how Washington works. And when they're trying to make assessments about how to spend their money based on that, they're doing things like assuming that Congress will reach another stimulus deal, even as all indications out of Congress are that it will not. And I'm wondering, in your reporting, how do the people who you talk to What's the relationship between like their assumptions about how Washington works and who's going to be good for them and who, you know, when politicians will be able to act to save them? Like, how did those play out in situations like this where it seems like if you were actually updating your priors based on the news coming out of Congress, you would be saying, okay, it's now looking a lot less likely than it did two weeks ago that something's going to come up? I think there are a couple of things here. Obviously, Policy is the only thing that's moving stocks. It can be a random headline. I mean, you even look now in the last few months, every time some random pharma company has good news on a vaccine, the stock goes wild. So that it's not always just policy. I think that the 
conventional wisdom is like what you would think is that Republicans are supposed to be better for the stock market. And ahead of this, I was kind of looking this up to see what happens. And it's not super clear, but the market has actually done a little bit under under Democratic presidents and it has Republican presidents. So it's not necessarily Republicans in charge. No regulations is what's best for markets. But we don't know if that really is just circumstantial. We don't have like a huge amount of history here, right? We've only had 45 presidents. I think the thing is, the markets are efficient to a certain extent, but nobody can predict the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And there also has been this sense in recent years that kind of something has to give, right? We've been in a pretty huge rally since the Great Recession. And obviously that has turned around a little bit now. But again, we're back in the rally. So nobody really knows exactly what is going on, but it just seems like, you know, there is this saying on among kind of the retail investors that stocks can only go up, which is not really true, except for that it kind of is. Like individual stocks will not always go up, but over time, the stock market will improve generally. So like that's kind of what's going on here. They're not wrong. So let's take a break because I think that it might be useful to get into how we should be thinking about the stock market in an election year in the first place. Because again, there's that idea that like, how politics plays into this. But as Dara put it, politicians don't really seem to understand the stock market and people who work in the stock market don't understand Washington. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics Podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media. Pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context. And it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. 
So I want to take us back to something that I think we've discussed a little bit on the show, but that really strikes me as kind of the crux of this question, which is which is what happened to the stock market in like February and March of this year. In February of this year, it seemed like as coronavirus was becoming more of a concern, not only in China, which obviously would have had massive economic impacts for like the U.S. supply chain, even if there hadn't been a substantial outbreak here, but also as it became clear that countries outside of China were also succumbing to it, there was this total lack of reactivity in the stock market, right? And like there were a certain amount of kind of watching and wondering whether the people on the trading floor knew things the rest of us didn't or whether they were just kind of not reacting to the things the rest of us knew. And then there was a period in March when all of a sudden the stock market got super duper freaked out very suddenly. And it wasn't that a whole lot changed in that time, but the stock market freaking out did itself lead to a lot of other people taking the threat more seriously, certainly the president taking the threat more seriously. And it seemed to be a pretty decent example of something that seems from, again, from a distance to be the stock market, assuming that the federal government is taking care of whatever it needs taken care of. And then occasionally realizing that Donald Trump isn't particularly that that doesn't mesh with Donald Trump's particular agenda as president and like panicking about that. We saw that on a couple of rounds with tariffs. We saw that on, I think, one occasion with North Korea, where like once things start getting really real, the stock market goes from we should assume that everything is fine in Washington because we have a president who talks a good game about too many regulations to, oh, my gosh, everything is terrible. I mean, then that like the stock market was kind of right back in March, right? <laughs> it, it's, so if you think about it, again, the stock market leading indicator, it's telling you what's going to happen. The stock market back in March being like, holy shit, things are about to get bad. And the economy was not incorrect. <laughs> Millions of people have lost their jobs. GDP has fallen. And now I think the confusing thing is like, well, what is it saying now? Because I don't feel like things are getting better. Like if you ask me what I think my life looks like in December, it's not particularly fun. I'm not going outside. This is why and maybe I'm wrong, but the stock market seems to think my December life is really awesome. Um, and in other moments where things have gotten scary, it's the same thing where it's the market being like, whoa, like this could get very bad. But you also have to think back to like, so before Donald Trump was elected way back in 2016, Everybody was going to tell you, I reported on this, but the stock market is going to tank if Donald Trump wins. Everything's going to hell. Good luck. Election night, Donald Trump wins. And there was maybe an hour, I'm not sure the timeline, where the futures markets that really took a dive. And then everything kind of started to come back. And by the next morning, everything was fine. So... (laughs) You don't, sometimes the stock market's wrong. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes investors really freak out. And that, I mean, honestly... Truly everybody before that election, or not everybody, but a lot of stock market analysts would tell you there is no way that if Donald Trump wins, stocks will do well. And then kind of look at what what happened, which means just the stock market doesn't always know what the future is going to be. But we also don't always know why the stock market is going to do what it does. How would you describe the kind of conventional wisdom outside of like any particular news event among the kind of stock watching world of What kinds of politics and politicians are good for them and when they should be, when things in Washington are important enough to kind of be leading the market? Right. So I think the conventional wisdom is 
that divided government is best because what what investors want most is certainty. And when <laughs> I government- mean, buddy, buddy, <laughs> I am right there with them. I 100% get it. I long for stasis and certainty. I get it. Right. Because then you know, even if the situation isn't awesome for me, like I can figure out my way around it. What they want us to know what the policy is going to be six months from now and that it's going to be the same. Not that nobody knows. And so generally the conventional wisdom is that gridlock is good because you figure nothing's going to change. And even if you don't love the regulation, especially if you have enough money, you're a big company, you can figure out your way around it. So that's sort of the conventional wisdom here. And like, as Jane said, at this point, I would very much like that as well in my own life, but who knows? So something that happens, you know, and, and, Maybe given where polls are right now, there isn't going, you know, it's possible that the election won't look close enough going into the the home stretch for this to be a thing. But like often every two or four years, as you approach election day, you start seeing a wave of stories about that cast the day's changes in the stock market as stocks reacting to the prospect of one party or the other party doing better in the midterm or, or doing better in the midterm, doing better in the presidential election. Kind of as news consumers, is it ever a good idea to trust in that kind of thing? And what should people be looking for as we go into the kind of home stretch of the presidential election in terms of how to read the market? Well, my first line on this is always most people should not be trying to play stocks and guessing where they're going unless they're not playing, unless they're playing with money that they're willing to lose. Even the best investors screw up. So I don't know. I try not to. I mean, I understand it's fun to play on Robin Hood. When I was reporting for a story on it, I downloaded it and I was like, I can see how this could be very fun. I could be addicted. But most people should put their money, especially the money that they really care about in a long-term index fund. But if you really want to look for indicators, I mean, I would say right now, given that Joe Biden is doing pretty decent in the polls, it's pretty likely that the market is already pricing in the possibility of a Joe Biden win. I don't know how that might fluctuate a little bit more in the future, but right now I can't imagine that even in the boardrooms of big hedge funds, they're not talking about what a Joe Biden presidency looks like. I think there are ways where if Joe Biden would start to announce who certain regulators would be or really put in place big policy proposals that would make a big difference for investors or certain companies that might make some movements. Um, But for right now, Joe kind of has always been a moderate middle of the road politician. I don't think the banks are terrified of a Biden presidency, (laughs) at least right now. And now if he puts Elizabeth Warren in charge of Treasury, that may change. But I think the banks are probably okay with, at least for now, with a Biden presidency. So, can you talk us a little bit? You mentioned that people should basically not be playing with the stocks, but I actually really think that this the rise of Robin Hood and kind of the rise of citizens investment is really interesting. There have been a couple of pieces in the New York Times about people who put $50,000 on a credit card and decide to invest in Robin Hood, which seems very stupid. But there are lots of people who are getting into this. And I would actually be curious as to your thoughts on like, if you are going to do this, if you are going to kind of get into this, how you should be thinking about what the stock market does and how it relates. You made the point that 
essentially the stock market's being held up by five tech firms. But are there ways or means by which you should be thinking about the stock market if you are trying to, and you know, if you have downloaded Robinhood, as I have, I have one stock. How, what, do you, what do you have? Is it the one that they gave you? Maybe it's the one that they gave me because that seemed easiest. <laughs> I believe I have made $6. It's been very exciting. But I'm interested, You know, how should we be thinking about this? Because... I think that for a lot of people, they've got a, you know, how we've talked about how the stock market is tied to politics and the economy. But for a lot of everyday people, the stock market seems both very close and very far away, meaning that sometimes you feel as if it's either not at all affecting your life or something that you can play with with no real consequences, which I, I don't think any of our listeners are doing. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's it's something I've kind of thought about a lot. I did a story on Robinhood maybe a month ago talking to different traders, and it's tricky, right? Because on the one hand, you don't want the stock market to be something that only rich people can be involved in, especially in a world where for some people, creating and generating wealth is really difficult and it is an opportunity, at the same time, you really don't want people to be taking out $50,000 on their credit card to buy Robinhood stuff. That's that's bad. That's not a good idea. And especially on Robinhood also, it does kind of gamify the trading in a way that can make it really enticing. And everybody's heard the story of a kid in Illinois who got confused on Robinhood about what he was doing and wound up committing suicide, which is horrendous. But I think if people want to get into it, I mean, I would say like it is fun. Do your research. But I also met people who were just seeing random stock tickers go by on Reddit and and investing and guessing. Like, I think the best way to approach it is if it's something that you want to do is just make sure, if possible, you're not playing with money that you don't want to lose and taking on risk that you really don't think that you can take on. At least for me, that's how I would approach it. I mean, a lot of people are playing in options where you kind of, it's really like gambling. So it's kind of all over the place, but you know, do your research. Um, Reddit's a fun place to look for information, but maybe check out Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> like there are ways to do this, but yeah. And I don't know, you know, don't put your money in the same basket. Try to diversify. Like there's always some pretty good like pieces of advice, but I think just at least for right now, when people are sitting at home and bored, the best thing to do is like just really if you want to like play with it, fine, but try not to lose like all of your savings or put in money that you can't afford to lose. I want to circle back a little bit to you know, we were talking about kind of the relationship between the market and the and the quote unquote real economy and like Something that that you mentioned was that people feel a little bit better about spending money if the stock market is doing well, even if they personally are not looking to like make an enormous amount of money off it. And I wonder if this kind of Robinhood, you know, citizen investor stuff makes it even more difficult to disentangle the stock market as a reflection of the real economy from the stock market as like this thing that makes people feel good enough to participate in the real economy and keep it running. You know, it does it feel a little bit more like you by having a couple of stocks on Robinhood are, you know, partaking in this thing that is doing well, even if in practice, the amount of money you're making is so much smaller than the amount of money that the professionals are making. And like, does that end up having a real economic impact that's much bigger than the $6 that Jane is making on her one stock? Yeah, I think that's like, 
That's a good question. That's something that we don't, nobody really knows. One of the things that you talk to people a lot is what are these retail investors doing in the market? Are there enough of them to make a difference in the market? And I guess in the economy as well. And I think the answer is that nobody's really sure what they're doing. Like, you know, Robinhood and all of the different trading apps will tell us how many numbers they have. It certainly seems like people are paying a lot of attention to the market, but in terms of whether or not their own trading is having an impact on how they feel about it, I don't know. I mean, you also have to remember a lot of these people are losing money as well, especially when they're playing in penny stocks and riskier things. Because, you know, if you have $200 in your Robinhood account, you probably can't afford, I mean, you can't afford an Amazon stock unless you're buying like a fractional share. So most of these people, I mean, I'm not really sure that this is having an effect, but maybe they're paying more attention. But it's also good Then I guess they're learning hope, you know, in the event that they are looking to more traditional sources of financial news. It is good to learn about the market and the economy. So I want to go back to what we were talking about at the top of the show, because I am interested and I, I, I know this is what you work on, but when you describe the stock market and how it responds to events, it seems less like a detail of how the stocks of individual companies are doing and more like an angry spirit we yeah, must... there's definitely strong animal spirit energy. Yes, they're like as if we must satisfy it and we must observe how it will do. Can you talk to us a little bit about what is the stock market... What is it actually telling us? For example, we know that polls are snapshots in time. They aren't predictions of the future. And you made that point about the stock market as well. But what are stocks telling us when we see that stocks are going down, but they started out from really high level? What actual information can we garner about either individual companies or the state of the economy when it it appears the stock market is an angry, vengeful spirit we must sacrifice for? And literally, it's supposed to be the expectation of future earnings. So when you talk about any the stock of any company, whether it's Apple, Ford, whatever. It's basically, I mean, it really is just how much investors think that company is worth and how well it's going to do in the future. It's hard to know, like, I mean, how right it is. A lot of the time, the price of the stock is much higher than what it's actually earning. And I've talked to a few people recently who have talked a little bit about this thing called shareholder primacy, where basically publicly traded companies value their shareholders over every other stakeholder. So their workers, et cetera, their number one priority is to give money to their shareholders. And what a lot of people have talked to me about who are on the more progressive end is saying, why does shareholder primacy exist anymore when earnings are really so disconnected from the price of stocks in some cases? Like the reason that a Boeing stock is going up is not because in a month from now, we think their earnings are going to be up a ton. It's because they can really issue as much debt as possible and stay afloat and investors know that. And I think that there is an expectation that especially after the recession and the financial crisis, investors have correctly guessed that the government will always step in to help big business. (laughs) So (laughs) there is also something going on here where we know that the federal government is not going to let airlines fail, just like they didn't let the banks fail. So of course, airline stocks someday will probably be fine unless, I mean, they will obviously, some of them might be settled with debt, et cetera, but the government's not going to let big businesses fail. It can be very hard to not come away from all of this and feel that 
the lives of real people are at the mercy of this like perpetual magical thinking machine. Because it's true that so far, everything indicates that the government will step in when things get really bad for investors, except... But we don't know if we can give unemployed people $600. I mean, there's there's certainly that. But there's also the question of like, if that assumption leads to like the investor class not actively lobbying Congress or not withholding campaign donations or like not taking behaviors that would absolutely guarantee that Congress takes it seriously. Congressional dysfunction isn't like an easy thing to overcome. And so it does seem to me that the assumption that this is always going to end up working out for investors, you know, in addition to like that not being a sufficient answer to what's good for the economy is going to end up being one of those things that is true until it isn't. Right. But it's also the Federal Reserve, really. Jerome Powell has you know, made every indication that he is prepared to do whatever he can to help the economy and to make sure that, in, in part, that does translate to making sure that big corporations can issue debt. I mean, we really have kind of shown our priorities here in a lot of ways. But again, investors have really correctly guessed that they're going to be fine. I mean, unless they're at some point they're not. And maybe I'm wrong. And then maybe we do let American Airlines fail. But I, I don't know. I, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested in how that looks, because I think that that's been something that I think folks on the left have pointed out, is that the government is laser focused on ensuring that American Airlines can still charge you for baggage for the rest of your natural life. And Yet we're you know, we're in the midst of continuing negotiations about stimulus payments, where you have a host of you know, so-called deficit hawks essentially arguing that there should be no more stimulus payments at all. And yet these are the same people who essentially think that large corporations that do well on the stock exchange should be bailed out. So what what's your thought on that? Because it does seem that I think that is what is driving a lot of the commentary about this disconnect between the stock market and the economy is not just how strange it seems, but also how it really furthers and points out existing inequalities. I mean, it's honestly a question I have. I know you guys talked about the stimulus recently, but the fact that corporations seem to be, at least some of them are lobbying to be protected from liability when you would almost think it would be in their interest to also be like, hey, we United Airlines are about to lay off a ton of people. You guys should also maybe give them unemployment insurance. I mean, I think we've, again, we've just really shown what we value, or at least Congress has shown what they value here and the federal government has shown what they value. And I don't, I mean, I'm curious what you guys think of what is going on. Yeah, I mean, this is a big question that I have about like, yes, obviously, there's a lot of liquidity. But it's also true that businesses are supposed to be making money off their actual bottom lines at some point. And so the apparent lack of interest in like, liquidity for the average consumer and consumer spend and, and, you know, making sure that people feel comfortable enough in spending activity does seem that, you know, it if the market is supposed to be this, because it has the wisdom of crowds, like, most efficient mechanism for talk for thinking about how people are feeling about the future then like the fact that people aren't engaging in economic activity and like you know that that it's it's not exactly like all of the job losses have happened because 
people who really wanted to go places were under shutdown orders. I think that's, you know, that's how it's kind of gotten refracted now that it's become a more polarized issue. But like, if people don't want to go outside, that's bad for the economy, which the market recognizes when it when it like gets excited every time there's vaccine news. So in the, you know, in the kind of time before that, how do people who are trying to predict where the economy will go and especially like people who are trading stocks for a living, what do they think average people think is going on in the economy? Because, you know, Emily, you mentioned that like you don't think your life in December is going to be awesome and the stock market thinks your life is going to be great. Like, is that a disconnect that people are aware of when they're trading or do they kind of assume that they have their finger on the pulse of the American public at all times? Yeah, I mean, I do wonder, again, which we talked about at the beginning, how much if the market is really assuming that there's going to be a stimulus bill, because part of this is, okay, like if I lose my job and have no money, it doesn't only suck for me, but it sucks for the businesses that I usually make purchases at. It also sucks for my landlord. This does have a big drag on the economy. So I, it does feel that there is some sort of just expectation, correctly or incorrectly, that stimulus will happen. And the CARES Act really did help people. People did, a lot of people got more money than they were making on their jobs. And that did really help prop up the economy. I mean, again, there's also the answer that if you are a big investor, if you are a big hedge fund or a BlackRock or whatever, you just have to put your money somewhere. And the U.S. stock market is really still the best place to do it. And so that's also kind of what is going on where it's like, where else are you going to, where else are you going to invest? Like, are you going to invest? I don't know. In Bitcoin? Like you're not, I mean, maybe a little bit, but you can't put all your money in Bitcoin is what I'm getting at here. Or you shouldn't. So basically we have a massive Robin Hood effect where instead of like Americans being stuck at home bored and opening an investing app, investors are stuck at home with all of this money and have nowhere to put it but the stock market. Well, and that's been true, I think, for a long time is that the U.S. stock market, I mean, really, since at least I've been covering this, I started a little bit really covering this after the financial crisis. And there has Literally, since I started, people have been like, okay, but it's about to crash. Like, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. And it it just feels like, I don't know. It's like, okay, I guess the stock market's just going to keep going up. And I even thought in March, you know, April, I was writing stories trying to figure out, you know, what will happen in the stock market and being very careful to say eventually it will go up, but you don't know when, so blah, blah, blah. And then, like, all of a sudden, it's back to normal. I think really... I mean, this has been the question of the last 10 years of will the stock market ever really go down again? And it did for a while, right? But we're back. We've recovered super quickly since this last drop. Again, you have this moment where we're like, the stock market is back where it was. And I'm like, there are lines outside of the pawn shop on 14th Street. So I'm like, this disconnect is really jarring. Yeah. So dumb question. One thing that you have said that sounds correct is that the stock market is supposed to be a prediction of future earnings on the part of the companies, you know, whose whose stocks are represented there. The second thing is that there is an assumption that is usually borne out that the stock market is always going to go up in the aggregate. How can both of those things be true? <laughs> well, but, but I mean, I don't know. I guess that my question is like, how can they not be? I mean, like... I. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think they, I, I'm confused how you think they can't both be true. It just, it does seem like it is not inevitable that the economy and the aggregate will continue to grow. True. 
And so if the stock market is always going to go up in the aggregate, but it's also supposed to be actually it all it is supposed to be, you know, predicting a real world phenomenon above and beyond the question of like whether they are whether the the stock market and the real economy are particularly at odds right now, like at a certain point, is it just no longer the case that stocks should be regarded as a predictor of future earnings? Because the only truth is that stocks have now gained enough momentum that they can continue to rise on their own. Right. I mean, I guess I I would say that so the companies that are in the S&P 500, the the big publicly traded companies that people are investing in, they change, right? Like 40 years ago or whatever, Apple didn't exist. People are investing somewhere else. So it is companies that we think are, you know, more relevant in the American economy that are making money like a, a company that maybe 50 years ago that was a big money maker and that was super relevant. Now the product's not relevant. We assume the stock is not super relevant anymore either. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but if we do, I I always want to like emphasize at least that the stock market on the aggregate goes up because otherwise what happens is like, imagine if in March you had all your 401k money and you freaked out because the stock market went down and you sold. You sold and you lost a ton of money and now the market has recovered. And so I think sometimes I talk about that a little bit just to be like, you don't want to sell at the bottom. You don't want to kind of base what you're doing in investments on fear because a lot of what happened even during the financial crisis was the average investors sold their money, I'm sorry, sold their investments and the bigger guys kept in. And so average investors really missed the ride up. And so I think sometimes like, not every individual stock is going to go up. Not like penny stocks, who knows? A bankrupt company like Hertz is not, I, I don't know, that's not going to go up like eventually, right? It will at some point bottom out. But overall, like my point is don't sell your 401k if the stock market dips. <laughs> that's that's my point. I mean, that, that seems like good financial advice, which you know, we've always said that the weeds is really which the podcast you should go to first for financial advice. No, you shouldn't follow my advice at all. But, but it's just in general. In addition to like Jane, you having like this Robin Hood thing. Did you mention in passing that you're now in debt peonage to an airline? No, 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 no. <laughs> I am not in debt peonage to an airline. That is not happening. I, I was, I was thinking that it is kind of amusing to me that. We absolutely cannot let American Airlines go out of business because that would be bad, as anyone who has ever flown American Airlines would say, hmm, interesting. Um, so no, no, no. Re listeners do not need to be concerned about that. I am not going to become a surf for American Airlines. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, on that reassuring note, we're going to wrap up a shorter than average weeds. Thanks very much to Emily for joining us and uh, humoring us being the dum-dums we are. Thank you to our producer, Jeffrey Geld. And The Weeds with Matt will return on Friday.